Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Ethan and his team take on their most impossible mission yet when they have to eradicate an international rogue organization as highly skilled as they are and committed to destroying the IMF. Oh no, it's a Mission Impossible this is when the Mission Impossible movies went generic. Yeah, but like, this is Mission Impossible 5. I had never seen this at all. <laughs> Neither have I. The only thing I knew about this one was that Tom Cruise hung on the side of a plane and that he held his breath for a while. That's all I knew. I didn't know anything else about the plot. I knew nothing. I didn't know who was in it. Nothing. Never seen it. It's just the one that I missed. Yeah. I think because it, it just kept getting lost with the name Rogue Nation. <laughs> I think it just it just kind of fell into a void. This was so fun to watch. This one was so fun. It has its moments, for sure. It is not perfect. It is definitely too long. But even though it's too long, it doesn't drag the way four drags. And so it's fun. Like, I'm not stuck in all of this muck for too, too long. And so, like, I feel like there's there's definitely a point to each thing, which makes it enjoyable. I would agree with that. However, as I sit down to talk about this movie, mm -hmm. I am failing to recollect a whole lot that was super memorable from the film, other than the plane and the breathing underwater. Okay, that's fair. I mean, like, it's, you know... That's not unusual about a Mission Impossible movie. About 15 minutes in, you said, this is Spectre. I said this was Spectre a lot. There are a lot of things that I rolled my eyes at. So I was like, this feels exactly like Bond. Because I felt like I was watching Spectre. Or then you pointed out, oh, wait, no, this is actually Quantum of Solace. But it all comes back to new Bond. It, it's. I feel like I'm watching a Daniel Craig Bond film. And at first I was like, well, no, it's not exactly the same. But as the movie went on, the it got more and more derivative. The comparisons got worse, like more direct. And that was obnoxious. And because of that, I don't know that I feel like it was as enjoyable. I certainly didn't hate it. It mm. wasn't like watching Mission Impossible 2, the film that doesn't actually exist. Okay. But okay. Aside from all of those annoyances, and I will say that part of my my the reason why that that was annoying to me, I have just recently watched all of those back to back. I have just recently in my life watched all of the Bond films, all 26 that are currently released because 25 has now been pushed to 21. I have those so fresh in my mind. And now that we are going through this, all of these films, which Mission Impossible, you cannot look at and not say, this is our American version of Bond. That's fair, but it feels distinctly American. No, it does feel distinctly American. True. But you can't look at this franchise and not go, yeah, they're pulling from Bond. And you cannot look at this particular film and not go, there are some very very direct comparisons to what they've done with Bond. Yeah, for me, that's that's what frustrates me most about this mm -hmm. movie is that it feels derivative and not a spy franchise in its own way because Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible 3, and Mission Impossible 4 
all feel like their own set of story and characters and world. And this feels like a James Bond movie where you put Ethan Hunt in place of James Bond. Okay. Well, the reason why I had fun with this one is because this one is the funniest one of all of the ones. (laughs) There are more jokes in this film than any of the other ones we've watched. They're definitely taking the piss out of each other they are the entire the, time. They are poking fun at each other. They are poking fun at the actors. They are poking fun at the absurdity of what is happening. Oh, yeah. I, th- like, especially at this is number five in the franchise. It's time to do that. That is enjoyable. That made me look at this and go, okay, some of this is absurd. I don't care because they realize that they're going for it. I can appreciate it's to, to me, it's the same thing with the Fast and the Furious franchise. Like, this is fucking stupid. We're doing it anyways. Let's go. It's fun. Interesting. It was it was just fun. I had a good time. The budget for this film was $150 million. So they're staying at the same budget. Okay. Which is interesting. It opened in the US to $55,520,000. Mm-hmm. It grossed $195 million in the US and globally. It grossed $682,716,000. These movies are not made for America. (laughs) I think we can firmly say that now. Tom Cruise does not necessarily care about the U.S. box office. I don't think that's fair. I think it's that he's not as bankable in the United States. No. People are sick of him because of his behavior. Yeah. They also do not want to continue to fund him because they feel like funding him is directly funding Scientology and they don't want anything. They don't want to do it. They don't want to bank him because they feel like banking him supports this organization. So then what do you see up front? Alibaba pictures. Yep. China is more than happy. Yep. And no shade to no shade to the Chinese picture companies. Like, that's awesome. If Tom Cruise is a hugely bankable star for those studios, for them to be able to get their foot mm-hmm. in Hollywood. They're making great action movies yep. and producing great action movies. So it's just, it is interesting to look at, you know, the U.S. box office for his movies roughly gets about the same amount of the budget that they put into it, mm-hmm. but they get such huge return overseas. Such huge yeah. return. <laughs> Originally, this was a Christmas 2015 release, and then Spectre and The Force Awakens announced they would be coming out at the same time. Oh, yeah. And this movie said, oh, fuck no. <laughs> We're pushing up to summer. Yeah, you would not. You don't stand a chance against those films. Uh Uh-uh. No. Not this movie, for sure. No, against Star Wars and Bond. That is literally nerd Christmas. Uh Uh-huh. That is dude nerd Christmas. It was a good nerd Christmas. It was a good, that, yeah. It was a good year. Literally, at our house, we had Star Wars Christmas. Yeah. We decorated our tree with Star Wars shit. Uh huh. It was Star Wars Christmas in our house. But because of that summer release, the movie was not actually completed until July 18th, 2015 at two o'clock in the morning, less than two weeks before the release of the film. Okay. I'm sure this is all little post-production stuff. They already had all the materials to promo the fuck out of the movie because mm-hmm. we all saw the airplane shot. Part of the promos for these films is talking about what the big stunt is, and how they do it. It was huge. And I'll say, it's fucking impressive. It's very cool. The way they cut that scene together, because it's one thing to see that and be like, well, holy shit, 
but you could be very underwhelmed when you just see the same thing you saw. But the way they put the scene together is actually both hilarious. Well, that's the that's the thing is it's it's just brilliantly written because it's meant to be a stunt, but it's got tension and it's funny. And it's got those lines of the two of Benji, which again, they are using Benji so well. They have allowed that character to grow in the best way. And Simon Pegg has just risen to that challenge. I mean, like he can kick ass. He can be the dude at the computer. He can be the guy wearing a mask. Like he's so great. And then also say stuff like, (laughs) wrong door. (laughs) Come on. Yes, got it. Benji, not that door, the other door. The other door, right, yes, the other door. Okay, oh, yes, 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 sorry, sorry. My bad, my bad. Like, it's just, it's great. He lets Tom Cruise be funny, and Tom Cruise can be funny. Oh, Tom Cruise can be hilarious, and Tom Cruise can definitely take the piss out of himself. He just doesn't have that much of an opportunity. Yes, when they allow him to... And when he, I just, I need more short, I need short jokes. I just, I need, <laughs> I'm sorry. I Eventually know. he'll get there. He really will. I, I just, ugh, we've talked about it before, but it is so great. It's just great. But the other thing was they sold the movie on that, making you think it was going to be this climactic scene. Oh, Turns it's, out it's, it's the cold for, open. It's the first, it's the first thing, which is great because that's the other part about this movie is that I knew something about water which they hadn't done before. They hadn't done anything in this franchise that had to do with water. And they didn't, as far as I knew, any promos about any behind the scenes giveaways about what that stunt was. It was all the plane. It was all, all they did was talk about this damn plane, which is great. That's cool. So they kept that one under wraps, which was smart. Oh, it was so good. It was very smart. Yeah. And of course, we've watched the special features about how they did that. And it's just fucking nuts. <laughs> it's cool. It is very cool. And this is where, no matter how, you, again, how, no matter how you feel about Tom fucking Cruise, like the dude's disciplined as hell. He just, he, you, I, I, he just is. And it is interesting that we've said there is obviously ego, but then a lot of his talk, a lot of his talk about it is, I really feel like the shot doesn't work as well unless I'm in it. It's that, and then it's, you know, there's a lot of conversation about, like, I wanted to prove to the safety people that I can do this safely so we can get a good shot. Yeah. There is ego, but it's also about, like, let's make the best film. Let's get the best shot. Let's do the best thing so that they don't have to see a stunt person, so that you don't have to do a bunch of extra CGI. Let's make it as believe, like, it's like, let's honor the crap. Like, it's... If he is able to do it, sure. the possibilities open up so sure. much more for what they're able to sure. do. It just does. Mm-hmm. And so that is an interesting factor in it mm-hmm. that, you know, you would always bank it back to, God, Tom fucking Cruise. But then there's this other element there that is interesting and unique. Yeah. And it speaks to what a good producer he is he, on top of being he, a good actor. He, he is a very good producer. Yep. <laughs> There's no, there's no getting around it. He's just really good at that. Just no. if he decided to retire from acting and just did that for the rest of his time in Hollywood, oh, he'd be fine. He'd be great. Oh, he'd he'd do great because he knows how to do it. All right. Well, our writing. I'm gonna say his name every time. Bruce Geller created the television series. Of course he did. Yes. 
Getting story and screenplay credit is Christopher McQuarrie. Mm -hmm. Before this, he wrote The Usual Suspects. Damn. The Way of the Gun, Valkyrie, The Tourist, Jack Reacher, Jack the Giant Slayer, and Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. Or Lived I Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. Okay, so he is is a a Tom Cruise person. He has become Tom's go-to guy at this point, which, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. If you've got a director you're comfortable with in producing this stuff and working with constantly, good for you. Do good work with good people. Yeah. Like, that's fine. After this, he wrote The Mummy in 2017. Oh, no. And wrote Mission Impossible Fallout. And coming soon, he wrote the script for Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8. Okay, so we're going to be talking about their work a lot more. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We also have getting story credit for this film, Drew Pierce. Before this, he wrote Iron Man 3. And after this, he wrote Hotel Artemis and Hobbs and Shaw. Okay. Fuck everybody who hates Iron Man 3. I enjoy it thoroughly. Movie's great. That what movie? is wrong with people? Okay. I understand why people do not like it. I enjoy it thoroughly. Yeah. And Hobbs and Shaw is a joy. <laughs> And it's so stupid and so good. And that flavor is thoroughly in this film in a way that I enjoy. What do we think of the writing before we get into another epic saga? It, the writing is pretty good. It does meander in ways that Mission Impossible tends to do. In that way where it's like, well, let's do a little bit of this. And let's do it's like, let's do a lot of too much spy work that we don't need. It does a few too many things for sure. <sighs> That's fine. Uh, let's overcomplicate this mission because we have to. Let's put a hat on top of the hat that sure. was already on the hat on a hat. The stuff with the IMF team, with the Langley, with all that shit, we could have simplified that one degree. Uh, just just one degree. Well, because it feels forced in. It does. I, I like the complication with Brandt. We're always going to have this deal with like, they want to get rid of IMF. Yeah. There's always going to be the deal. And then we got a new boss who wants to get rid of us. I totally get that. I like that struggle. It's been a while since we've really dealt with that struggle because we just didn't exist for a while. Now we exist, but we don't want to exist. But that's fine. I'm cool with that. Also, Alec Baldwin, I'm here for it. But we could have simplified that a little bit more, especially with the MI6 in a way that was a little bit cleaner while still getting your switch them up masks let's bring him in and make it difficult but there, there's just a way to make it cleaner and and have him play that 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 was where it got too messy for me i know the trivia okay and based on the trivia that i will tell you in a moment this feels hacked together that's my assumption is that we started the film without a footage script and for a film that was hacked together on the fly, they did a pretty good job. They strung it together pretty well. It feels pretty seamless, but it's, again, all that derivative flavor really bogged the movie down for me to the point where I was like, this doesn't feel like a Mission Impossible movie. It's not as bad as like watching John Woo go bonkers wild and make something completely different from the franchise, but this doesn't feel like the tone or flavor of the other movies. It just doesn't to me. Oh, I think it does. I I feel like it's a great evolution because I feel like this is the first time Ethan's team is solid. Like, honestly, he's got Luther. He's got Benji. He's doing his thing. He's got Brant. Like, 
he's solid. He's pr- like, as far as Ethan goes, he's solid. He's got his crew. He's got his people. He knows what he's doing. I don't know. Maybe it's just that I like one and three where he has no team. Oh, I you like Scrappy, Ethan, because he's not Scrappy in this film. No. And <laughs> he keeps getting concussions in this film. It's also that thing of like, that's what made him so compelling, especially in like the first movie, that intensity. And it feels like it's not quite there. But here's the thing. I don't want to watch a movie where he has to assemble another fucking team. This is film five. If we get to film five and this is the fifth time we've seen him assemble a team, that is fucking horrible. Okay, so that's fair. Then what I wish I had more of was the actual bad guy. More involvement with the bad guy or more in depth with the actual mission. Because this bad guy is a big bad. We should have seen more of his bad guy or we should have seen more of Ethan following him. Yeah, because the whole because the whole movie revolves around that. Yeah, because we get that six months later, and it's just Ethan leading them on the the wild goose chase. It takes a long time before we finally understand that Ethan is in this sort of paranoid conspiracy phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we only get hinted at it here and there instead of making that a thing throughout this whole movie. Totally, it's like he should have a competent team, but nobody should trust him. Totally. That should be what's going on. But I, the movie's so funny. I, and, and I really like that they introduce the lady spy and they don't, they, that nothing happens between them. And while they, they flirt because that's what spies do. They flirt. <laughs> it's a requirement. It's very benign flirting and they do a very good job of flip flopping her multiple times. She's like, she's good. She's bad. She's good. She's bad. Like, wait, what? <laughs> but, Every single time it happens, it makes sense. And I don't feel like I'm being jerked around with her. And I don't feel like the romantic undertone is inappropriate. It's it's very much like I'm a hot lady in a dress and that this is the card I'm supposed to be playing right now. Like what? A, like, fuck off. It's very much a slow burn. It's a very slow burn and I'm okay with it. And then at the end, it's very much just like. We come from the same world, so we understand each other. So we have that connection. It's and very it's very reminiscent of Quantum of Solace. Exactly. But that's it. Yeah. It's just like in another world another time, this might work out. I'm gonna go do my thing, you're gonna go do your thing. That's it. I loved that. All right. Well, development of this film was difficult in the writing phase. Of course it was. Cruz and McQuarrie did not have a script when production started. Just the action sequences. Why do you people do this? This is so dumb. And and this is about how bad it was, okay? The underwater heist sequence was completely outlined. They knew exactly what the beats were and how that was going to go down. However, they had no idea what Ethan was going to be stealing in the underwater heist. (laughs) They knew the action beats. But they didn't know what the fucking purpose of the scene was. That he was going to be stealing something. Though they knew he was going to steal something, but they didn't know what that was going to be. And they knew it was going to be it was going to be tech based. So it that sounds stupid, but at the same time, it's like okay, no matter what we do, it's going to have to be involve X, Y, Z, and whatever he physically steals is going to be X. That's fine. But they didn't. That's what it's saying. That all they knew was. He's going to be underwater for a long time. No, no, no. But regardless of whatever they write in their briefing, 
whatever they write, it's going to write to physically whatever he would steal. It would make sense for it to be this tiny thing tech wise so that whatever they film, it'll be fine and they can CGI whatever that has to be. That makes sense. I don't know. That sounds stupid, but at the same time, it's like, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna film him pulling out something the size of a brick. But no, really, it's the size of a briefcase. It needs to be. No, that's stupid. Well, how about the fact that some exposition scenes were written while they were being filmed? Oh, they've done that every single time. <laughs> every single time. Adding it all up, though, you're just going, guys, because it's one thing for you to have like this random action sequence that you don't know what it's going to tie to. When you're talking about the climactic action sequence of the film and you still don't know what the plot is there, that's a big red flag for me. Yeah. <laughs> so Drew Pierce, who we mentioned earlier, was actually the original screenwriter. Mm -hmm. He gets replaced in 2014 by Will Staples. Will Staples has been an executive producer of Shooter and the recent television series The Right Stuff. McQuarrie then lets Will Staples loose when they start filming mm -hmm. because they aren't satisfied with either of these scripts. Hmm. And so everything got thrown out the door. Okay. They started rewriting as filming began. They actually had to shut production down in February of 2015 so McQuarrie and Cruz could rework the entire story and ending of the film. This is dumb. <laughs> dumb. This is just a waste of time and money. I agree. The problem was now they have a release date mm -hmm. and you're too far into the process now where you have to deliver. No, it's just stupid. It's you paid somebody to deliver a product at a certain time and they don't deliver. So we're going to waste more time and money by just throwing bullshit at the wall. I think the problem was they did deliver. They just didn't deliver what they wanted. No, it's just it's stupid. This is this is. It's writing by committee. No, it's a fucking too many white privileged men in charge of bullshit. No. Yeah, the credits were settled under arbitration by the WGA. Mm. So Pierce got story credit because he had at least a significant amount of involvement, but it is unknown to anyone how much of the film belongs to Pierce or Staples. Nobody knows what was kept and what wasn't. This is so dumb. They slap this shit together by the seat of their pants. Okay, I still really enjoy the film. Like, That's I fair. I do. I super enjoy the film, but this is fucking stupid. Uh, some fun little writing things. Ethan's codename in the film is Bravo Echo 1-1, which is the same as the original movie. Okay, that's nice. Instead of the calls made from Ethan's perspective for different emergency situations, mm -hmm. they wrote it so that it would show Brant's perspective so that you could see the other side of the IMF emergency procedure. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's fun to kind of see how how does the call come in? What does it look like? Yep. It's been almost 20 years since that movie. So it's a chance to go in a different direction. Yeah. And the spelling BE11 is a mirror image of 1138, the mm, George yeah. Lucas MacGuffin. Of course. The Syndicate is actually the original group of antagonists in the television series. Mm. There's a lot of circling back to the source material in this movie. Mm-hmm. The original show used this really just as a code for mafia and American organized crime. Okay. But in this movie, they become more of a specter type figure. Very much so. But they are coming back to the original series now for some little things that they can pick up along the way. Okay. The gunshot synchronized with the note in a score is lifted straight from Hitchcock's spy thriller, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Hmm. Mm. 
there's a lot of these little things that I go, oh, y'all did that because you didn't know what to fucking write. <laughs> it's a little bit of that. But it's still cute and fun, so who cares? And the movie did get a bit of buzz in 2015 over Ilsa removing her shoes while running on the opera house in Vienna. Okay, I fucking loved that. It made me so happy because I was like, that's what people actually do. The buzz came because Jurassic World had gotten <gasps> shit tons of criticism. Oh, it, was, it was the same year, yeah. Because Bryce Dallas Howard ran through Jurassic Park with heels on. And that would never fucking happen. No. No. What would have happened? Because I understand. Okay. I don't want to shit on ladies because that's stupid. <laughs> I understand the desire to keep on shoes for the purpose of protecting your feet. That is a valid concern. But you know what would have actually happened? What Michael Douglas did to Kathleen Turner's shoes in Romancing the Stone. He took her shoes that had heels on him and macheted the fucking heels off. Fair. That's practical. <laughs> Cruz and McQuarrie considered tying it to the trailer and promos mm-hmm. because of the sort of response it was getting. But they both agreed that would be too much and giving the joke away for fun. It would be a little ham-fisted. Then they went, it's much better to just see it in the moment. That, yeah, that would have been like, mm-hmm. there's no context for it in a trailer. No. See, having it happen is, oh, this is how people react in real life. Even super hot spy lady would need to take off her fucking heels. Well, that and or like my shit, my shit's expensive. We ain't fucking these up. That too. I love it. And now for our directing. And our director is Christopher McQuarrie. Before this, he directed The Way of the Gun and Jack Reacher. After this, he directed Mission Impossible Fallout. Coming soon, he will be directing Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8. Y'all, they finally got a repeat director. That's insane. They've been wanting people to repeat almost every time, except John Woo. But (laughs) they have not been able to get anybody until Tom Cruise got Christopher McQuarrie on. Yeah. What do we think of the directing of this film? It's fine. It's competent. Like, he didn't ruin the film, so we're good. That's Christopher McQuarrie. I mean... He will make a competent film. Yeah. And if the actors and the writing can rise to the level of that, he will not screw it up. Look, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I would like to watch it again. Fair. So, that's high praise. Yeah. Who could have been better? Brad Bird. Okay. They wanted him to return. He declined to do Tomorrowland. And that was when Cruz made the request for Macquarie to come on. Fair. Because it's his dude. All right. Now we have our cast. Mm. And that includes Mr. Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. Mm-hmm. What do we think of Tom Cruise in this movie? We got a lot of Tom Cruise running face in this movie. He's also looking a little old. He's starting to show his age in this film. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, he's 50. It's time. I will say this. The shorter hair, the like short 96 hair on him mm-hmm. makes him feel a little older. <laughs> a little bit. It's fine. He um, looks a little more filled out in this film. And, yeah, that and, too. And that's not like, I'm not calling him fat. No. It's just he looks bulkier. Yeah. Like his training is more to beef up, not to be lean and cut. Yeah. And he was coming off of Edge of Tomorrow. So I wonder if that's part of it. And that's fine. But the thing is, he looks good. Yeah. Like aging gracefully for dudes is important as well. Yeah. Um, And also, it's also very important. You guys need to um, make sure that when you color your hair, it needs to be done in a way that looks natural (laughs) because you have gray and white hair coming in. And when you just jet black it, 
that can actually make you look a lot older in a bad way. I'm looking at you, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Love you. Hot, hot dude. But there are some moments where I'm like, yeah, well. mostly it's his beard. That's where we have a problem. I have a bigger problem with his beard than his hair. I really only have one note for Tom Cruise. He was injured a total of six times making the movie. You're getting old. Yeah. It's getting old. It's true. That's what happens when you're old. Eventually, some of those stunts, you're not going to be able to do. There's there's going to be an injury he ain't coming back from. I mean, he'll still act. Like, not like death, but it's just like, oh, we can't fix that. And or you can never do this these kinds of stunts again. It's like, oh, dude, can't ride a motorcycle anymore. What? Oh, that would, that would end it. That would be bad. He's going to have some sort of thing that's going to be like, if you do this again, you will never be able to do X again at all, period. Not even stunt driving. You will not be able to do a motorcycle ride at all. Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, dude. But yeah, I, you know, something interesting here is I think it's hard to judge his performance really well because they cut away from him so freaking often in this movie to other characters. Because of all the CIA stuff that goes down and Brant and all the little infighting that's going on at Langley. Yeah. We cut away from from Ethan when we should be focusing on Ethan and everybody being like, he's off his fucking chain. <laughs> like, he has no idea what is going on. And Ethan is just desperately trying to convince everyone, hey, I'm not being crazy. This yeah. is happening. <laughs> hmm. And we just don't get enough of that. So I feel like he's so uneven, but it's all based on the edit and the way the story was put together. Yeah. We have Jeremy Renner playing William Brandt in this film. Mm -hmm. What do we think about Brandt? He's fine. His storyline just kind of, it was muddy. And I think if that had been tied up better. Why couldn't we have used him as more of a Kittredge figure? Like, I, not in the hard ass way, but if you're going to make him the go-between between Alec Baldwin's head of the CIA mm -hmm. and Ethan, put him there. <laughs> really put him in the middle of that shit. Yeah. And have him constantly having to talk to Ethan. Sure. It's this side bit and this side plot when it's like, this needs to be one of the big fucking deals. I do like how they used him to just be the company man. That's his job. His job in this group is to be the company man. That opening scene with him is perfect. It's, it's precious. I cannot confirm or deny, blah, blah, blah. And then the callback to it at the end, precious. I can neither confirm nor deny details of any such operation without the secretary's approval. This was the same week that the IMF infiltrated the Kremlin. Here is the Kremlin before and the Kremlin after. I can neither confirm nor deny details of any operation without, without the secretary's approval. Yes, we know. In fact, until this panel appoints a new secretary, you really can't say much of anything, can you, Agent Brandt? Well, I didn't write the rules, Mr. Hunley. Mr. Chairman, the so-called impossible mission force is not just a rogue organization. I like that they made him the one who had a tough choice because we've always had it be Ethan. Yeah. And so I like how knowing that this character was made specifically to take over for the Ethan character should Tom Cruise ever retire from the field. I'm fine with that. I like the position. I like the role. I like it when Brandt is the guy who's like, are you fucking kidding me? Why are you being crazy? You're, you're insane. Well, Brandt spent so long being an analyst. Now he's got both sides. Totally. And also, I like that previously... Benji has to be the voice of reason. Well, now Benji's on board for the crazy. So now Brant has to be the one in the room <laughs> to be the voice of reason. It's great. But 
his storyline is messy. It's overly complex. So that's where it sucks. And it's not Jeremy Renner's fault. Because when Jeremy Renner's having fun, he's great. Why so. does he just have to be the worst? He's in like severe timeout. Oh my God. Severe timeout. Mm. Let's talk about somebody who isn't in severe timeout. And that's Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn. I adore him so fucking much. He's very fun. I just, he's so precious. Just having a walk through there, being like, oh, no mask. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to die. And I've made my peace with that. Okie doke. <laughs> I also love his whole like, he's not my friend. He's not my friend. I'm going to go to the opera. Like, I love all of that whole thing. And then when Ethan's like, well, you have to go back and you have to do that. And then he yells at it and was like, no, I'm not. Ethan, this is what I signed up for. Let me help you find it. That's why I brought you here in the first place. And look what happened. I can't protect you. That's why I need you to leave. That's not your decision to make, Ethan. I am a field agent. I know the risks. More than that, I am your friend. No matter what I tell the polygraph every week. Now, you called me because you needed my help. And you still do. So I am staying. And that is all we are going to say about that. Okay. Good. Where do we stop? <laughs> and Ethan's like, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Like, he's actually legit taken aback by the fact that Benji's like, fuck you, dude. Benji was always just the little tech dork. He was the little tech dork who... Then passed his field agent, but he was always, like, the incompetent guy, and I don't want to work with this dude. But it wasn't that like he was incompetent. He just didn't have the experience. Yeah. And then I, I also love that every time you give Benji more experience in the field, he becomes more experienced and more competent in the field. But he just, he just looks at him and was like... I, I care about IMF just as fucking much as you do. Yeah. And you're my friend. You you don't get to tell me not to yeah. do this. Yeah. I love it. it and was, then Ethan has to back down. <laughs> well, the other part of that is Ethan has been used to not having any friends. The only people that he has cared about, Luther and Julia. Those are the only people. And they are in the shadows. They're in the wind. They're in the wind. Always. Forever. Forever. So it's like Benji is just kind of like, I made sure Benji didn't die. So I've done right by Benji. I don't I don't need to do anything else. Mm -hmm. They've let Benji evolve in the best way. It's true. He's so precious. I love him. And now we get to our first new actor okay. in the franchise. There's a lot of returning people in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean. But we have Rebecca Ferguson playing Ilsa Faust. Before this, she was in The White Queen on television, okay. 2014's Hercules, and The Red Tent on television. After this, she was in Florence Foster Jenkins, The Girl on the Train, The Snowman, The Greatest Showman, Mission Impossible Fallout, The Kid Who Would Be King, Men in Black International, and Doctor Sleep. And coming, she will be in Dune, the remake, and Mission Impossible 7 and 8. Okay. What do we think of Rebecca Ferguson in this film? I, I really liked her. I liked she showed up. She's a competent woman, tons of agency. Not a damsel in distress by any means. So I love that. Ostensibly, she's there as a plot twist, but she's bringing enough gravity to the lines in the character mm -hmm. to make it more than that. True. She's not just a love interest. I mean, clearly they're planting seeds. I know. And that's fine. I don't care. They have romantic tension. Sure. 
but it's never acted upon. Mm-mm. It's far more about some bigger connection sure. that they're feeling. It's 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 about the job. Oh, very much it's about, about the, the job. job and the organization. Z- so, organizations. Organizations. <laughs> um, and that's totally fine. And I I enjoy it. And and that's the tone that I like here as opposed to Bond, because Bond, it's all about the sex, sexual undertones. Like, that's what they play for every single time. Except for Quantum except, of Solace. Except for Quantum of Solace and when they're focusing on M. Do that's the Dentious M, because that's the one woman who <laughs> can boss Bond around. So that is a tone that I really liked in this one. Because we know that he's had this relationship with his wife, and you know his wife is in the wind. So it's like, okay, so what? What happens now? So that's what that's an interesting tone. But then again, I like it's never acted on in the film. I I just I thought she was great, and her her character was written really well. Yeah, she gets to shine probably more than anybody else in the movie, and she's got the right blend of serious actor, mm-hmm. but also action vibes sure. which means i can play both of these sides really well oh yes and because we did watch the special features about it everything tom cruise did in the water sequences she did too yeah because her attitude was tom cruise can do it i can do it so fuck yeah she's amazing she's gonna train as hard as he can to try to match him in the scenes and she did yeah so she's amazing yeah no she did a phenomenal job and yeah, and her, I just, again, every time she, <laughs> she does a shift on us a couple times, every time it happens, I understand it. Yeah. And I don't feel like, well, this, this is, oh, this is annoying or oh, this again. No, I understand why this is happening. Every time she does it, mm-hmm. it's of her own agency. Sure. It's not just that there's a reason because we've seen that, but her decision-making process is very clearly shown, and she is actively participating in yes. that. Nothing is happening to her mm-hmm. so much as she is being forced into positions mm-hmm. and having to make choices based on that. Sure. And that's what's so refreshing. Yes, it's very easy to understand why she's making the decisions she's making. Her motivation is clear. Yes, and and none of it's clouded by romantic bullshit. No! Which I also love. Mm. And there's no there's no scorned lover past bullshit either, which I also appreciate. We didn't get any of that crap. So love her. Excited that we're going to see her more. Who could have been better? Jessica Chastain. Oh, interesting choice. She did not want to spend six months training for the film. Understand. This was the second time she had turned down a Tom Cruise film. Oh, okay. She had actually turned down being in Oblivion in 2013. Oh. I don't think she would have been good in this role. I think she would have been too serious. We've never seen Zero Dark Thirty. She would have been too serious in this role. Eh, maybe. She wouldn't have the action-y star fun spy vibes. I, yeah. I think she could have done that, but I think she would have been too serious. Eh. Uh, Ferguson was the unanimous second choice. They had seen The White Queen and really okay. liked her in that. So. Not seen that, but I do want to watch that series. And then finally, our main villain is Sean Harris as Lane. Solomon Lane. Before this, he was in 24-Hour Party People, a bunch of British television and television movies, the Red Riding TV movies, which were kind of a big deal in the early 2010s, Harry Brown, Prometheus, The Borgias, Deliver Us from Evil, 71, Serena, and 2015's Macbeth with Michael Fassbender. Mm -hmm. After this, he is in Trespass Against Us, Mission Impossible Fallout, and The King, 
And coming, he's going to be in The Green Knight with Dev Patel. What do we think of Sean Harris in this movie? I actually don't like him. Oh, I kind of do, but I'm interested. Go on. I think it's because I feel like he's trying to be a Vaughn villain, and he's not, and he's not doing anything interesting at all. Like, he's just restrained dude. See, I think he's written to be a Bond villain. Exactly. Absolutely. He's, he's written to be a Bond villain, which is fine, but his performance is restrained British dude, and it's so fucking flat. I think there could have been more for him to do, but they did not give him anything to do with. That could be true, but here's the thing. Give this to a different actor, and it could have been 18 different things. We should have seen him explode in this movie at some point. Really explode. A different actor should have given him so many other different facial expressions. Could have given him more physicality while still keeping him restrained British dude. Could have done so many other things. This guy did nothing with him. Yeah, that's fair. He's doing nothing with him. And when he realizes that Ethan has memorized all of that shit, all of all of the accounting stuff for the money, that's when we should have seen him explode. Whatever facade Solomon Lane is actually trying to put on should have completely fallen. And that should that's where we should have seen some explosion of personality. We got nothing. He needs to be Cyrus the virus. A little bit more. A little Cyrus the virusy. Yeah. He thinks he fucking knows everything. He did nothing. Yeah. Like Yeah. Like literally this is basic Bond villain on the page and he just read the lines on the page. And I mean, you could have given him a different cadence, given him a different accent, given him a different way his body moves. Something of visual interest. We got nothing. We I th- got nothing. I think this guy is a talented actor. I think he got the assignment and then didn't add any flavor to it. And you're right. <laughs> and I would have been fine with him going stoic when he got caught at the end. Like once he got in the cage being like, oh, you think this is over. Then going stoic would have been fine with me. But no, like it's just it was it's it was so flat. I didn't care. Mm. I did not care about him at all because that wasn't interesting to me. To me, what was interesting what was going on between all these organizations. I was like, what's happening? Like, let's 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 play the 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 government game because that's more interesting to me. I don't know. Story wise, he was interesting to me. Story wise, yeah. he's interesting, but the actor did nothing with his character, and that was boring. Solomon Lane wears a gray Nehru dress coat, a trademark of Blofeld in the Bond man. films. Give this to Christoph Waltz. He'll do something with it. This is fucking amazing. I know. He will get an Oscar out of this bullshit. Solomon Lane is one of the primary antagonists from the original television okay. show. Again, we're going back to source material. I'm, f- I'm fine with that. Sean Harris was incredibly hesitant to take this role. He had mostly done TV up to this point. One of his main motivations for taking the role was a scene that wound up getting cut from the oh. final movie. Okay. He also agreed on the condition that the character was going to be killed off oh. to avoid any sequels. Oh, no. But Macquarie and Cruz couldn't find a satisfying way to write that into the script. Just fine. The whole plan was to have him captured with no plans to reappear. Oh, okay. It does make sense. Like, if you wrote this story and they kill him, just like they kill off every villain, mm-hmm. this is the only guy who's ever beaten Ethan. Yeah. Like, outright so many times. And I understand why Ethan would be like, the only way to get him, we cannot kill him. I have to trap him. Yeah. 
So I, I do get that. However, in the last days of filming, Macquarie and Cruz had the idea for the plot to involve Lane in the next film. There is no recorded information on how Sean Harris reacted to this news. <laughs> Probably with, my paycheck's going to be a lot bigger. Probably with, well, fuck you. And also, pay me. <laughs> well, they can't force him. No. Unless there's some clause in his in the one. But here's the thing. You're going to try and force me to do another movie? I mean, unless it's in your contract. Unless it's in your contract. Like, they, they'd have the rights to use your likeness from this movie. But unless it's in your contract. Oh, you're going to force me to be in the next film as your main villain? Yep. Again? <laughs> Money, please! Who could have been better? I would like a list, please. Benedict Cumberbatch. Hells yes! Are you fucking kidding me? God, he would have been amazing. <laughs> Sherlock himself trying to outwit Tom Cruise and then Sherlock. getting foiled and losing his fucking shit. He would have been amazing. He really would have. Because here's the thing. That man doing nothing but reading those lines on the script would have been more captivating. And then he would have exploded in the most fantastic way. At several times when I feel like we needed to see that rage bubbling up under when, when, oh, that didn't go my way. I'm not happy. I don't like this. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Explode! It would have been, ugh, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. He's great. Yes. Now they said he was, he was considered for an unspecified villain. So maybe at another iteration. He better be the villain in space. That's all I gotta say. That would be fun. But yeah, he, uh. If he hasn't already been tapped for. The next Bond. Who knows? Bond villain. He's going to be a Bond villain before he dies. That's just a fact. Maybe. maybe. He's he's a British dude. He's going to be a Bond villain. Or he's going to be M. Well, we, we, have to, we have to deal with Blofeld <laughs> He can first. be both. We have to deal with Blofeld first. Whatever. Arpons. Okay. We got Vane Rames playing Luther for like five minutes. Eh, he Vane Rames it up. <laughs> he's having fun. He's great. Simon McBurney playing Atley. He is a British that guy character actor. Oh, yeah. He was in 2011's Jane Eyre and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Zhang mm -hmm. Zhang playing Lauren. I think she's one of the assassins. She's only in this movie for a couple of minutes, but she has big starring because she's a giant Chinese star. She was in Rush Hour 3 and will also be seen in Mission Impossible Fallout. Interesting. Just for a little bit. Okay. We have Tom Hollander playing the Prime Minister. <laughs> Fantastic character actor. He's great. Whenever In the Loop, him. Gosford Park, Pirates at World's End. Gosford Park. I haven't watched that in years. That movie's great. It's so funny to me that he in In the Loop, he is this hapless, horrible PM. He's so bad. In that Parliament. And in this, he's for Prime Minister. And there's a world in the timing of those movies where that idiot became Prime Minister of England. <laughs> We have Jens Holten playing Yannick Vinter, the main henchman. He is also one of Silva's henchmen in Skyfall. Okay. And Alec Baldwin playing Alan Hunley. He's Alec Baldwin. Yep. He's brilliant. This is him doing the now 60-year-old version of his Glengarry Glen Ross character. Yes. And it really works. He's so good, and he is at the perfect age to just play government grouch. And this is a great role for him. It just is. It is at once very typecast. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's a little flavor to it 
where you're kind of surprised mm-hmm. where you go, oh, you actually have some interesting feel here for this character that isn't just the typical Alec Baldwin in charge guy thing. Mm-hmm. It's not Jack Donaghy. It's its own little role. And I, I like that. Yes. And who could have been better in the main cast period? Paula Patton and Maggie Q were both supposed to return for this film. Okay. They had to drop because of scheduling conflicts because this movie went through development hell. Mm-hmm. See, if you guys would stop that, then maybe some of your cast could come back. And your directors, too. Mm-hmm. Hey. Trivia. Trivia. Let's start with the plane. Oh, okay. That stunt was performed without effects or a stunt double. Tom Cruise was, at times, 5,000 feet in the air on the side of the plane. Mm-hmm. He wanted to outdo the Burj Khalifa stunt from Ghost Protocol, and Cruise is a pilot, licensed pilot, so he wanted the feeling of being on the wing of the plane. However, the crew immediately started raising safety objections, because of course you would. Yeah. Like, fuck you, we're not putting you on the side of a plane. Mm-hmm. But then they started to figure it out. So one of the biggest obstacles they knew was going to be an issue would be bird strike and wind resistance. Okay. So any particles flying through the air could hurt or severely injure someone. Yeah. And it could also hurt the camera. Oh, yeah. The custom frame was built to cover the camera from any wind issues. Okay. So they like put it in some kind of plexiglass box to protect it. (laughs) And then Cruz had a special lens that covered his entire eyeball that would protect him from wind particles damaging any part of his eyes. So it's like a contact lens shield that his eye care provider made for him. Contact eye condom. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing you have to worry about if you're going to do this. Oh, yeah, because he's got to be able to open his eye. He wanted his eyes open for the scene. Yeah, he's got to be able to open his eyes, kind of. Like, just enough to make it look like he's not just, like, Yeah. No, I get it. So they did eight takes over four days to get the shots. Okay. McCory was incredibly concerned about Cruz panicking at some point in the middle of the takes. Sure. And look, Tom Cruise has nerves of steel, but if you're on the side of the plane at 5,000 feet, who the fuck knows, man? You do not know how your body's going to react to that. And, And there's no stopping. No. Like, there's nothing you can do. But Cruz, every time, just assured him, do not stop filming. I want the shot. Yeah, sounds right. (laughs) During one of the takes, he got hit by a small pebble. He claimed that it hurt so badly that he was afraid to look at it when he got down. He knew that he had been injured internally somehow, but it turned out no. It stuck to his clothes, it embedded there, and it was tiny. It didn't actually injure him at all, Mm -hmm. but it hurt that bad bad. hitting him. the, The impact, yeah, sure. He was completely impressed. It was a tiny pebble. Wow. (laughs) Cruz has stated that his gray suit in the scene is a direct homage to the plane sequence in North by Northwest. Okay. And the aircraft is an Airbus A400M meant to replace a C-130 Hercules, which is the plane he's supposed to be getting on. But they didn't have that available because that's a military aircraft in service. Sure. Only a dozen of the A400Ms had been completed by the time of filming, and one crashed during a test flight in Spain, killing the entire crew, making it even harder to deliver. Yeah, that's not great. Ha! <sighs> what a bonkers fucking stunt. <laughs> but he did it, and it looked really fucking cool. It looked cool. It's unnecessary. What was way cooler was when he gets inside the plane, 
the guys coming after him and, and the, then, the credit sequence role is so good. Yeah, that that's what's cool. I I love that he's just he's inside. He's made his way inside. He's strapped himself to the payload and then he cuts it loose. It's like, oh, I just got in the plane to j- jump right out again. He's just like, and the yeah. guy and the guy just stares at him like, what are you doing? How is this happening? And then, okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> No, it's it's great, and the, I I do appreciate appropriately timing lighting the match because it's it's great. It's very good when they get it right. When they when they time it well, it it's just like mm, chef's kiss. According to Simon Pegg, a stunt coordinator told him that Tom Cruise would do all of the driving for the film because quote there wasn't a better driver than him on set. Honestly, fair, <laughs> but also really, <laughs> I mean. Really? Especially for motorcycle stuff, man. He's been doing it for so long. After Days of Thunder, I don't think anybody has any argument on that. <laughs> he had to drive a fucking NASCAR car at almost well, top speed. He's he's logged the hours. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. But I would just, at a certain point, I would also be like, you know, nobody's asking me if I'm comfortable with this. Y'all are just being like, well, Tom wants to do it. So we're letting him do it. And it's just kind of like, yeah, but like, the ask would be at least nice. Like, yeah, we should. There, <laughs> there should be a. We should pretend that this is a conversation. No, <laughs> we should. We should pretend. Ethan's crash to stop from hitting Ilsa is very oddly reminiscent of the barrel roll in Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. So many fucking Bond references in this movie. Yep. While training for the underwater sequence, Cruz was able to hold his breath for six minutes. Yep. What? He stated that at times he would forget to breathe while talking because of the exercises he had been doing. Yeah. Which I mean, fair. <laughs> when you've been training for that long and then you're like, oh God, I forgot how to breathe for a minute. <laughs> I forgot to breathe. <laughs> it's fair. And then because he did that, they rewrote the scene to be longer so he could hold his breath longer. Sure. That makes sense. What the fuck are you doing? It's show off Tom Cruise time. No, though. I know. Here, here's my thing is not only is that just like the dumbest safety concern but then it's also so you made a scene longer just for the fucking sake of it when you could have made it shorter because this movie's already way padded out like come on <laughs> there's no reason for it Ethan eh. getting his new mission on a vinyl record was one of the first methods of receiving missions on the television show I did like it I mm. thought that was really cool and we hadn't seen it before so I thought that was fun Paramount and Disney had a little spat over the title of the film. Oh, really? Because Disney announced Rogue One about the same time as this film started its promotions. Oh, okay. So Disney had to agree to not promote or release any promotional materials of Rogue One until this film got released. The terminal Ethan has access to is 108. This number constantly pops up in Bad Robot Mm -hmm. after its original appearance on Lost. Of course it does. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Barf. <laughs> I love Lost. I just don't care anymore. Good guys in this movie drive BMWs, except for Brant and Luther's Land Rover. Bad guys drive all sorts of other direct competitors to BMW, a lot of them with their badges taken off. <laughs> Incidentally, BMW was a major product placement sponsor for this film. Of course. <laughs> I love that it was like, the bad guys are driving Audi's Mercedes. This Mercedes clearly had its badge taken off. I'm like, wow. 
That is a new level of petty in sponsor stuff. I like it. The Nessundorma piece from Turandot is used throughout the theme of the film. It becomes Ilsa's de facto character theme. Mm-hmm. But in fact, one of the interesting things is that the composer of the original Mission Impossible theme, Lalo Schifrin, did all of the arrangements for the three tenors concerts, which made Nessundorma such an international phenomenon in the first place. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I did not either. It's a fun fact. It is a fun fact. That is trivia. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they should put that on a snaffle lid. The pictures of a fatal car crash of an Audi in Turkey is actually the car of the world champion skeeter Petter Northuk. He is alive, but he crashed his Audi driving under the influence and fled the scene to his nearby house, where he was eventually arrested and convicted. Cool. Yeah. And the plane crash Ethan mentions is a direct reference to Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 that disappeared in 2014. Creepy. Mm-hmm. The opening of the ball is the exterior of Blenheim Palace in Oxfordshire. Clearly visible in the front of the parking lot is a silver Aston Martin DB5. Yep. Because of how much it stands out next to the black cars all around it, it is probably a very clear reference to James Bond. That same year, the exact same location was announced to be used in Spectre. Yep. <laughs> like, there were multiple times when we were watching this movie, it was like, Bond, Bond, Bond. <laughs> like, I said it multiple times because it just kept happening. See, if you hadn't done it so many times and then you threw James Bond's DP5 at the front of this. This is funny. It would have been so fucking funny. Then it's funny and then we laugh. Because we would have been like, James Bond is at this ball. Why? (laughs) Well, okay. So then it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek type of thing. Then then I would love an in-universe, like, double take. I would love a passing Tom Cruise running face running down the street this way with a Daniel Craig running face going the other way down the street. Just because they're in the same location, it would be so funny. No, it would be Ethan running and then Daniel Craig walking out of a store, adjusting his cuffs and looking over at the man running wildly down the street. He does love to adjust his cuffs. Because that's how Bond works. Well, that's his move. Ethan constantly running. Constantly running. Bond taking a moment to assess the situation before punching. Yeah, not always. (laughs) Depends depends on which Bond we're talking about. Which Daniel Craig Bond. Elsa and Ethan's meeting at the train station near the end of the film was not in an actual train station. They filmed that at the XL Exhibition Center in London. So they used the large doors of the exhibition halls to digitally render images of trains and platforms. Okay. Smart use of locations. There is a deleted scene where Benji gets to wear a face mask. What? And pretends to be Hunley. (gasps) It was removed as being too confusing to the plot of the film, but Benji leads Hunley on a cat and mouse chase through Langley. Why do we not have this? All Benji wants to do is wear a full face mask. Right? That's all he wants to do. And then he he talks about it all the time. And then Benji gets to be Alec Baldwin. We could have seen Alec Baldwin pretend to be Simon Pegg. That's all I've ever wanted. I need more of that ridiculousness from Alec Baldwin. I'm so sad this scene did not make it in this movie. I'm really sad. But I really needed that in my life. But maybe it's on the deleted scenes. We'll have to go look. I am definitely watching this one again because it was fun. (laughs) It was fun. Like, I know it's not perfect, but like, it was so fun. 
It was so fun. And finally, Ilsa's body count is more than Ethan in this film. Eight to five. Mm. Interesting. And that leads us to our ratings. For every film, we have a unique rating system. For this movie, are we going with the little card? The little swipey card to make sure that Benji doesn't die? No. No, I like record messages. Oh, that's very good. I like the records. So, Um, how many Coltrane Monk records are you going to give this? I'm going to give this a four and a half. What? Yeah, because I don't care. Like What? Like, for everything that's wrong with it, I don't care. I'm sorry, huh? Yeah, I, had, I really enjoyed this one. This is the most, of all of these that I have watched, this is the one I had the most fun watching. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, it's, I had more fun watching this than three. Two and a half. Okay. This movie's fine. It's fine. But, like, the writing problems I have are not big enough of a problem for me. The acting is good, but it's fun, and I will rewatch this again. I think for me, it's just MI1 and MI3, to me, hit all of the notes that I want these movies to hit, and this one feels like a weird departure from that, more than a tonal shift in a new direction. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it feels more like an anomaly. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm struggling to remember a whole lot super memorable from the movie for me. Other than those two big action sequences. I just, I enjoyed it. And huh. maybe, maybe it's the newness of it. Maybe, maybe. And that's fine. But right now I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And it's a four and a half for me. Interesting. <laughs> a very interesting choice on both of our parts. And I'm, I'm guaranteeing a lot of that is Simon Pegg in this film. Because he's so great in it. Fair, fair. Well, we've got one more movie in this series. For now, until more are released. This next one is Mission Impossible Fallout, which I have seen the first hour of three times, <laughs> but only the first hour. Only the first hour. But now that I've seen five, I understand why. So we'll talk about that next time. Until then. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.